The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today um, is going to be exciting for a number of reasons. First of all, my guest, Rebecca Jane Weinstein, um, is a uh, second-time guest but today she's going to be talking about her new book. And in fact, her new book called Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences is coming out in two days. So this is very exciting. This is, we were talking before we just started right now, and, and Rebecca was telling me this is her first interview on this book. So I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> well, let's, let's um, go back a little bit. Before we start talking about fat kids, I want you to give my listeners and me, I'd like to know, because when we spoke about fat sex, the naked truth, um, you were still kind of in the middle um, of the journey of where that took you. So why don't we start out with, with, well, a little bit about your background, obviously, and what drove you to write fat sex, and then what got you to write fat kids. (laughs) But but I'd want to hear about, like, what... um, what that was like, what putting, putting yourself out there, first of all, as you do, these two books are so incredibly personal, but you know, what, what that was like for you, what kind of reaction um, you got to the first book, and, and what that whole journey was like. I know I just asked you a gazillion questions, but why don't we start off with you just giving a general background of yourself, and then we can start talking about fat sex. Okay. Uh, let's see, where do I start? Uh, I st- I wrote Fat Sex, came out in 2012, uh, Fat Sex, The Naked Truth, and it came about uh, because my mother suggested writing it, which is a little strange, but she called me up one Saturday morning and she said, you need to write this book. And what had happened is I had started a website called peopleofsize.com, which was uh, sort of a a community where people could talk about various issues and there was information and it was for larger people to to congregate, so to speak. Um, and people had started to tell me their stories. And one of the, the themes that kept coming up uh, was relationships and sex. And for whatever reason, people were sending me very personal bits of information. They were emailing me and so forth, and I was getting information about people I was not expecting. But clearly this was on on people's minds, and there wasn't much written about it. And so my mother, who 
knew that I was getting these pieces of information, came up with this idea. And so I really wrote the book on a whim. Um, And then all of a sudden, I became very entrenched in it. And when, you know, obviously writing a book is a big project. I had written one before, but it was on a completely different subject that was not personal or emotional. And, um, you know, this really brought up all kinds of issues for me and for the people I interviewed, and, and I was having interviews with people where they were crying, and I was crying, and it was mm. quite an experience. And then all of a sudden, and then I became sort of a spokesperson for fat sex, which was a very interesting experience for me because it's not, you know, that was not my background in any way. I'm not a sex therapist. Um, I do have a a master's degree in social work and a law degree, so I I counsel people to some degree, but um, talking about sex is not something I was more comfortable with than most people, uh, you know, publicly. And so I became kind of the spokesperson for fat and for sex. And the next book, Fat Kids, was my father's idea. <laughs> uh-huh. And after, you know, what happened with fat sex is actually there isn't as much sex in the fat sex book as some people wanted. Um, it's more stories of uh, relationships and emotions. And there's a, there was a lot of how people got to that place stuff. So talking about their childhood. So I did a lot of talking about childhoods, including my own. And it became clear that that was the topic. And then, of course, what's going on in society these days, it's the topic. And my father said, you have the next book has to be Fat Kids. And I said, of course it does. And that's when I got into Fat Kids. And I'll tell you, fat sex was an interesting experience. It was difficult in some ways. Fat kids was rough. Huh. Riding fat kids was hard emotionally. It was really tough on me. It was tough on the people I talked to. Um, and now that I'm starting to do interviews, as you said, this is my first, um, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about going into this process and how emotional I feel. And I didn't feel that way with the first book because I felt a little bit more separated. And this book is very, very near and dear to me. And the issues are raw um, for the people in the book. They're raw for society, and they're raw for me personally. So I'll do my best. Well, now that's interesting um, because, like you were saying, with fat sex when you did interviews or even when you thought about your own story, um, uh, that that that, that that was emotional and it dealt a lot with childhood. This is going deeper, presumably, into... um, not just talking about being overweight as a child, but but getting to the bottom of things that happened in childhood that might have contributed to the weight? 
Yeah, these, you know, with fat sex, uh, I'd give a little background, and most of the people were heavy as children, but there wasn't a lot of detail. This is all about mm-hmm. people's childhoods, and a lot of people had quite rough childhoods, and even the ones who who didn't obviously have rough childhoods in the sense that their stories are sort of, you know, obviously heart-wrenching, still had tough childhoods because being a fat kid is really tough. Mm-hmm. Even under the best of circumstances, you know, even when you have the best, most supportive, most well-intentioned parents. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, because of all the bullying that goes on and so on. Uh, bullying is the tip of the iceberg. Um, the family dynamics, I think, are profoundly important. They seem to be really deeply important. Um, and society at large has a huge impact. It always has. I don't know that there was a realization of that until recently, you know, since we started to have the war on childhood obesity and the obesity epidemic and all of that, you know, it's very much in the forefront. Um, But society has not taken kindly to fat people and to fat children for quite some time. Certainly not American society. Mm -hmm. So it's always been rough. And I think it's getting rougher, and it's it's worrisome. Um, so, yeah, it's it's tough. Well, now um, before we talk about some of the stories, I mean, maybe we could start with how you start the book, talking about um, being. A being on it, put on a diet at uh, age six. I mean, why don't if you could, to the extent that you're comfortable, um, if you could tell us about your childhood and what um, being a fat kid um, meant to you. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about whatever is in the books, and it's quite a bit. Um, that itself is an interesting experience. Because prior to writing these books, most of these stories um, were things that I really never talked about with people. Even in therapy, these were stories that took me years and years to be able to discuss Mm -hmm. um, because I experienced a lot of shame. And so now they're all for the whole world here, and that's an interesting experience. So it it goes like this. when I was six in the first grade, I, I apparently had gotten chubby. And I've, you know, I've seen pictures of myself. In fact, there's a picture of myself on the front cover. I was going to ask you. I figured that was you. <laughs> yes. That's in me. a bathing suit, jumping into the pool. Yes. So, so as anybody if, who can see the cover would see that I'm clearly a chubby kid, but I'm... I'm a chubby kid, that's, you know, and I, I would say that picture is just about at age six when I first started dieting. So I had put on some weight, and I, I 
I don't know the background, but my family, my, my entire extended family, decided that something needed to be done, and I was sent to a, a fancy pediatrician in Westchester in New York in a big fancy house, and the pediatrician did whatever he did. Um, at that time, there was no BMI. This was in the early 70s. Um, he just looked at me and saw my body and said, I was fat. You know, I was an overweight child, and I need, that needed to be addressed. So he told my mother that I needed to go on a diet. And my mother tells me that that was pretty much the end of the information. Um, I told the story in the book. I, I remember it quite vividly. I'm in the room sitting on a table in my underpants, the six-year-old, and they're talking about me, talking about how I'm fat, and I'm just sitting there listening, and then the appointment is over, and at, the, at that time, it was customary to give a kid a lollipop at the end of a doctor's appointment. So they had just spent a bunch of time talking about mm-hmm. how I was fat and needed to go on a diet, and then he hands me a red lollipop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I never forgot. You know, I've never forgotten the experience, the irony, as I say in the book, a child's first irony. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning. And at, at that point, I was on a diet, and I was on a diet for the rest of my childhood, and I was on a diet for the vast majority of my adult life. Um, I, there was never a day when I wasn't on a diet. So what diet meant as a child was, oh, I had different food than my brother. I ate, you know, at that time, diet food, you know, was like cottage cheese on bread with saccharin and cinnamon on top of it, mm-hmm. you know, like at, for treats, that was sort of a Weight Watcher staple for treats, and I was just, you know, I ate differently, at least at my mother's house, I ate differently than my brother, and differently than my mother, we all ate differently from each other, actually, hmm. and it are, are we? Yes. <laughs> then you, you can just finish that sentence. That we're, we, it doesn't. I'm music sorry. does mean we we need to take a break now. But just finish where you are, and then we'll come right back to it. Um, eventually, that led into much more complicated dynamics and food issues. Okay, and that's where we can we can leave leave everyone on a cliff with that. How's that? Okay. <laughs> My great. guest is Rebecca Jane Weinstein. She is the author of Fat Kids. Truth and Consequences. She's also the author of Fat Sex, The Naked Truth. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Rebecca Jane Weinstein. She is the author of a book that is just coming out this week called Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. She was on the show before talking about her first book, Fat Sex, The Naked Truth. I'm realizing as I'm um, reciting these titles that truth, <laughs> truth is in both of them, and this has been a very truthful and personal and, and difficult um, you know, you're laying yourself naked, so to speak, with, with all of these things, whether it's talking about sex or talking about childhood. And um, that's very courageous of you. Let's, we, before the break, we were actually talking about, about you being almost naked at the doctor's office. <laughs> and, um, and, and then his telling your parents to put you on a diet. And you were talking about how everyone in your family was on a different uh, food plan. So um, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so ultimately what happened was two important things. One is the dynamic between myself and my mother became contentious. And she was very committed to me being on a diet for several reasons. Um, I think one, because she was loved me and was worried about me. And because she also had body image issues and did not want a fat child. Hmm. Um, and apparently she had said that at one point, that if she ever, I don't know if this is in the book, um, that if she ever uh, had a fat daughter, she would kill herself. Oh, wow. Um, I... You know, now that I say that, I'm a little worried that I didn't put that in the book for a reason. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I'm sorry, Mom. It was a long time ago. It was, you know, 40 years ago. Well, how did, um, you, how did you know that? How did you find out that she had said that? Well, in writing these books, I've found out a lot of things that people have said and done and thought, and things have been clarified, experiences, and a lot of things haven't been. There's a lot of not remembering and not realizing and true, genuine, not understanding what had, what was being done at the time. I mean, you know, I guess what were, I'm wondering is, do, do you think when you were a child that you heard that or, or knew that at some level? 
that, not, oh. not that, I mean, I'm sure you knew that she didn't want a fat child, but I mean, do, do you think you knew then that it was to the point where she had said she would kill herself if she had a fat child? Um, because yeah. that would have been very stressful. Yes, there's no question that, not just my mother, and I don't want to put it all on her, you know, this is, this was a reflection of the culture, but it, it, it was pervasive through my entire family, uh, extended family on my mother's side. I became, as, you know, we see in the psychology world, the identified problem, mm-hmm. um, and so whatever else was going on, and there was a lot going on in the 1970s in an extended family, um, I, I was the one that everybody turned to when they needed to focus on something. Mm-hmm. So my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, to, to an extent my cousins, although they didn't realize it, my brother, everybody was involved in my weight. Mm. And I tell numerous stories in the book about you know, this holiday or that experience that was extremely traumatizing um, when the entire family, as I saw it, turned against me and alienated me. And um, there is no question that I felt a deep sense of alienation and disconnection because... I was the fat person on a diet, and that was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think one could argue that that was the, you know, that's the da- that's what really caused damage, yeah. more so than the dieting itself. But if not for the weight and the dieting, things would have been really different. Because that's what I assume. I mean, that was the focus. Maybe there would have been some other focus. I don't know. But not just for myself, but in the in the stories that I, you know, have heard over and over and over again, alienation and feeling unloved and unlovable is such a common sense for children. Um, you know, your body is who you are. You know, and especially as a child, having the insight to separate your body from, you know, other aspects of your character and your beliefs and your feelings, um, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. And when you're you're told you're wrong, you know, it's difficult for adults to do so. It's impossible for children to do. They don't have the cognitive ability to do it. And so when you're told you're, you're, fundamentally flawed, most children are going to believe it, and I certainly did. And, of course, then that becomes a vicious cycle because then people, kids eat more um, to get more nurturance, to feel more comfort, and to feel more loved. Yeah, you know, food's an interesting thing because uh, for everybody... Because food is nurturing, it tastes good, we're, we're biologically primed to, to need it and to want it and desire it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, there are very few people on earth who don't have cravings for food. Um, you know, uh, uh, good tasting food. Um, I understand from interviewing um, scientists on this that 
you know, it's actually built into our brain chemistry and at birth we we seek out certain salt and sugar and fat because we need those substances to survive. Um, so at any rate, yeah, there's, there's a nurturing aspect and there's very little else a child can turn to. Mm-hmm. You know, not that any of the other, you know, substances are preferable, um, but they're not really an option if you're six. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, and then for me there was also this dynamic, and I've seen this with a lot of other people I've talked to, very similar, is that it's a power struggle. You know, my mother would withhold food for me, um, and to me it felt like withholding food, and, you know, it was in fact, although her intention wasn't that, but that was what was happening, and in my little girl brain it felt like she was... I don't know, treating, I don't know, doing something so strange by withholding food. So I would try to get food, and I would sneak food and steal food and um, do it in a way so that I hoped she didn't know, and I I got better and better at those skills. I, I got quite... Um, quite competent at that sort of thing as I grew up and uh, some of that was to comfort and some of that was to challenge mm-hmm. and some of that was just logical you know when somebody was is withholding something that you need and that you want desperately you're going to seek it out and I did it well, um, and I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's a pretty common thing, even for kids who aren't fat and for adults who aren't fat, you know, sneaking and binging and, you know, our society is full of that. You know, hiding what you eat, not telling people what you eat, yeah. hiding about what you eat. You know, it's not, I wasn't the first, I didn't invent that. Yes, yes, and especially how um, power struggles with one's mother over food is is classic because the mother is considered the nurturer, and um, when there are power struggles, um, I mean, the first power struggles relate to food, you know, whether it's the breast or a bottle, um, all of the... All of the uh, interactions that occur in, in even in that first those first months, the first year, um, relates to determines or contributes to the the relationship that um, a little baby and their mother have for the rest of their life. And so then then when it becomes literally about food with dieting and so on, it's a very powerful. Um, uh, Force that can be that can be harnessed for good or or more frequently for bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and it gets more complex as you get older. You know, when right. I was really little, it was about whether I could steal a piece of cheddar cheese. Mm-hmm. As I get older, and I um, and and when I was very young, although I didn't like being teased, and there were certain aspects about being a fat kid that were lousy, um, 
I didn't start to desperately want to be thin until I got older because at some point it switched from my mother's obsession to mine. Mm, mm. And how old were you then? Um, I, I think that I, just as I was hitting puberty, mm-hmm. um, I was sent to fat camp for the first time. Uh-huh. And in a weight loss camp. And uh, I went I went two summers, the two summers prior to high school and going there, which was my first experience with boys, you know, because we were all about that age where people started to like each other mm-hmm. and because we were all fat kids. Uh, we were allowed to like each other, and people liked us back. Hmm. Hmm. I want you to explain that when we come back. Um, okay. That's an interesting, <laughs> interesting comment. Um, we will be back. My guest is Rebecca Jane Weinstein. The book of hers that is coming out this week is called Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. And it's really, as you can tell, you know, this is really very emotional, tough stuff. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with Rebecca Jane Weinstein. She is an attorney, a social worker with a master's degree focusing on clinical therapy and the author of well, the two books related to what we're talking about, the first one being Fat, Sex, the Naked Truth, and the new one, Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. And before the break, we were talking about fat camp, and you said something that I found intriguing, which was we were fat, the boys and girls at this fat camp, so we were allowed to like each other. What do you mean by that? Well, prior to going to fat camp, um, I guess I was about 12 when I went, um, for the first time, my relationship with boys was 
I was, you know, even if boys and girls were starting to like each other, the notion that a boy would like me was inconceivable. Now, I had been told as a young child that, um, this is actually how I start the first book, my grandmother said to me, no man will ever love you. And that was clearly a profound experience in my life. Mm. And um, I, I, I can't remember how old I was, but I was probably around eight or nine. I understood what she uh-huh. meant, old, old enough to understand it. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that that played into what was going on when I was 11, but I did have this sense that me and boys were not going to happen. And the boys certainly didn't, you know, um, I didn't appeal to the boys. You know, what I remember about the boys is that mm, in, in junior high school, in our, you know, at the end of the year, we would have these um, little books that people would sign. Mm-hmm. And the boys would say stuff like, you're a whole lot of women. <laughs> um, I still have those. And, uh-huh. you know, and I remember that because it hurt. Uh-huh. And um, so, yeah, so the idea that I would like a boy and that a boy would like me was just not in, you know, it was outside the realm of reality. And... So if other boys and girls had boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, whatever that means when you're 11, it wasn't happening to me. And so when I went to fat camp, um, we were all fat. And although there was a hierarchy in fat camp, Hmm. um, the thinner you were, the better you were. You know, there was definitely a power dynamic and... um, Thinner, the thinner kids were seen as more attractive. Um, it was still tolerable to be fat because mm-hmm. we all were fat. So no matter how fat you were at fat camp, you were still allowed to engage in that, you know, boy-girl dynamic. Uh-huh. And, um, and the first year I went to fat camp, first of all, I was younger, but I was also fatter. Um, I went to fat camp two summers in a row. The second year I went to fat camp, I was much thinner, and I had reached puberty by then, and I was very pretty. Um, I, you know, I'm one of these people who everybody always said... What a pretty face. Oh, you, oh, you have such a pretty face. You've only... You yeah. know, and, and I'm, you know, strangers in the elevator, you know, over and over again in my life. I must have heard that a million times because I do, in fact, have a very pretty face. So, um, you know, what a shame. Yeah. And uh, so my second year in fat camp, I was closer to being one of the good fat kids. Uh-huh. You know? And so I actually had a boyfriend and... I don't know what that meant, but, but I had a boyfriend, and uh-huh. um, that was a big deal. That was, uh, you know, life-changing in a way, although I really haven't thought about it in years, but the fact that I was allowed to, that the, that, that the world sanctioned 
Mm-hmm. The fact that I would like a boy and that wasn't ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that the boy would like me and that wasn't... And as I recall, he, was, he wasn't a terribly overweight kid. Um, or he had lost a bunch of weight in fat camp. I don't know. Um, I, remember, I don't remember his name, but I remember him being quite cute. And... Uh, yeah, and, and that being sort of legal. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Um, and that... And really, for very much for that reason, and that whole the whole dynamic at fat camp that although there were things about fat camp I didn't like, um, no, none of us liked being on the diet, and none of us liked doing the calisthenics in the morning, and um, you know, and there were still cooler and less cool fat kids, but. Um, we were just kids there, and I don't advocate fat camp for because I think that they're uh, they're counterproductive in the long run. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time at fat camp both years because um, it's really the only time, maybe in my entire life where I was normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where the world consisted of people that were like you and you didn't feel so alienated. Yeah, and there wasn't, but, a, um, there wasn't a Barbie doll on every corner or an ad, uh, billboards with Barbie dolls. Yeah, and when I was in high school, by the time I was in high school and I went to high school right after my second year of fat camp, um, I was... Normal weight. I, I wasn't thin, but I was no longer fat. But I perceived myself as being extremely fat. Did always continued to always did all through high school and college, and you know really, um, even if I wasn't. And during high school, I really wasn't. Um, I was, you know, on the heavier side of normal, and. But I perceived myself as enormous, and I perceived myself as ten times the size of my girlfriends. And because I was outside of the context of fat camp, the notion <laughs> that boys would like me and that I would like boys became illegal again. Mm. And it really... And, you know, that that's where the fat sex book starts, but it really did screw me up because I did not feel like a normal human being, because I had been told no man would ever love me, and that meant that no boy mm-hmm. would ever love me, you know. Um, so, yeah, so my, you know, I'm, I'm a very intelligent person. Um, I'm a compassionate person. I'm empathetic. But emotionally, I realize now, in retrospect, there were a lot of aspects of my emotional development that were not quite as sophisticated as perhaps I wish they would have been. Yes, and you make the point in in Fat Kids um, that, that it isn't just about the weight um, or that trying to get kids to be on a diet or trying to, you know, 
focusing them on their weight and how important it is to lose weight, can you make the point that it can that that can do more harm than good? There's no question in my mind that it does more harm than good. And, you know, I spent so much time talking about myself that I didn't really get into all of the current social issues yet. But this is why this writing this book has been so upsetting for me. Not, you know, it's been upsetting on a personal level because I really had to think things um, through, and I actually started therapy again after writing this uh-huh. book um, because I realized I and I had already done well more than a decade of therapy, um, but I realized I needed more after writing this book, and um, so I'm glad and I'm doing therapy for PTSD, which I realized I had writing the first book. Uh-huh. It's, it's kind of kind of a mess, but. Um, what I find incredibly upsetting is that this is continuing and I don't even know that I had it as bad as kids do today because although nobody liked a fat kid in 1975, nobody likes a fat kid today. Mm-hmm. You know, fat kids are ruining the world today. And... I mean, people are literally saying that, and I can't imagine the damage. I mean, I know the damage that was done to me, and the damage that must be going on, psychological damage and the physical damage, and this is not just fat kids. This is all kids, because now, if you're not fat, you're someone who could be fat. Everybody could be fat now. And every kid is at risk. We're at a we're in a war. And there's not a child in this country who does not know that they are at risk for being this terrible thing mm. that mm. is, you know, costing us money and ruining our society and you know, making us lazy and just so many you know, so much baggage, and the, you know, the president's wife is involved. And, <laughs> you know, it's such a, their television shows, and it's mm-hmm. such a thing. So, you know, and, and we see this being borne out in, you know, the increase in eating disorders, the increase in eating disorders in boys. Um, you know, now you don't even have to be fat to be fat. Uh-huh. You know, or to live those issues. So, and what were some of the, what were the most frequent issues that you found when people, um, when you interviewed people whose stories you tell in the book? What were some of the, I mean, obviously we know, um, for example, for girls, um, a, a lot of times it comes from their having been sexually abused. So what other kinds of, what did you find? Um, there was a fair, hmm, there was some sexual abuse that I encountered, um, but not as much as hmm, one might assume, and there was some, some physical abuse, not as much 
as one might assume, there was a lot of emotional abuse, although not necessarily intentional. Hmm. All right. Why don't we um, take a break here, and we can come back to that when we come back. My guest is Rebecca Jane Weinstein. Her new book is called Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with Rebecca Jane Weinstein, the author of Fat Sex, the Naked Truth. We've been talking about that, and also her new book, Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. So um, what are some examples of um, the kinds of, of stories that people have been telling you who you interviewed for the book? Yeah, uh, you know, you had mentioned sexual abuse, and, mm-hmm. and there are a number of those stories, and of course they're horrible and tragic, and, you know, people can read them and be horrified by them. Um, but two examples I wanted to give, which were emotional abuse and one is an, ex- is an extreme example of this young man who ended up, who, who in his childhood appeared to intentionally gain weight, and he, it, to an extreme degree, and he ended up weighing about 450 pounds in early high school, and wow. nobody could figure out why. And it turned out, no, I... I I don't want to call this a punchline, but, you know, I'm giving away the end of the story, which is just so unbelievably painful. But it turned out that he was protecting his siblings, that he became that weight to become a bodyguard. Huh. Um, and he may or may not have known it, but it became apparent years and years later to his oh, stepmother. Wow. Oh, wow. And... Um, so he would physically protect them. Now that's an, ex- you know, that's an, ex- an example of 
intentional or mm-hmm. concrete abuse. Now, the other is much more common and I think insidious in the sense that people don't realize it's happening. And this is a fascinating story about a young man who currently is about 12 years old or 13. Um, he, he was an avid football player in elementary school, loved football, lived for it. And on the team, there's a, all this detail about how they get weighed and they have to make weight. And um, the kids who are over the weight for peewee or whatever it is, um, would only be allowed to play um, for short periods of time during the game, presumably because they might hurt the other children, although Hmm. that was never clear. Um, But they were made to wear helmets with big X's on them in front, and they were called the X-Men. So there were all these chubby little boys playing football with helmets with big X's on them, and they'd be pulled out of the game after a few minutes, and they there were other aspects to it, like they were forbidden from eating pizza when the team would go of pizza oh, afterwards. Wow. And, um, but the, the, the experience of these little boys having to go out on the field with all their peers and yeah. their families and, you know, wearing an X was incredibly traumatic. Yeah. And, now, why they had to wear this X is not clear either, because everybody could see that they, <laughs> you know, they were heavier boys. Right. Um, and the mother, who in this case was an extremely loving, attentive, and wonderful mother, decided to put her child on the diet to protect him, because this was horrifying. He would come mm-hmm. home crying all the time. And, and anyway, that, putting him on a diet turned out to be a terrible disaster. Um, and that caused a lot of conflict between the two of them. They eventually figured something out, you know, that worked for them, um, which is a lot of detail. But the point is that there are there's a lot of insidious stuff going on, mm-hmm. like like school lunches, like everybody knows that there are, if there aren't cookies in the school lunch, it's because of the fat kid. Hmm. You know, um, it, you know, if you're 9 or 10 or 11, it's not lost on you that they've substituted carrots for french fries. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, yes. And, of course, there's all the more of that. Hmm. All right. Well, I know. I know this is our, unfortunately our last segment. I'd love to hear more. But tell us about how, um, because you started to talk about this before, how um, writing both of these books and putting yourself out there, telling really personal stories, uh, not just interviewing other people, but telling <laughs> countless stories from your own life that are very personal. How has this all been um, affecting you so far? Um. It's been a lot more difficult than I anticipated, and you know I, I knew it would be awkward, and there were, and and I you know and once I started telling stories, I sort of never stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, I started sharing everything. You know, everything was on the table, and um, I kind of have no secrets left. And there's there's a nice aspect to that. It's freeing. Um, a thing that I spent 10 years in therapy talking about, I now talk about, you know, with everybody. <laughs> um, 
So that's nice, but I had gotten to a point in my life where I sort of felt like, yeah, I'm a fat person, and society has all kinds of issues with fat people, but fundamentally people are concerned about themselves, and nobody really cares about me, you know, and nobody's really concerned about my fatness, you know, except people in my close circle or, you know, I'm concerned about it, but... So the rest of the world doesn't really care. In writing these books, I started getting very entrenched in, you know, the world of fatness and what's going on in society. And I read lots of articles and I read the Internet and commentary and um, reviews of clinical research and the, oh, the, the hostility towards fat right now is so profound and it's so, I, it's hard to put it into words. And if you're not a fat person, it, it may be hard to appreciate. But it's deep and it's hateful. And I really became really insecure all over again. It's like 10, 15 years of therapy almost kind of wiped out hmm. because... All of those things I thought I had worked through, well, uh-huh. now the world is telling me I was wrong to work them through. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, and then I was so, so I went back to therapy, and I'm still working on it. So, God, you know, I hope, I pray that people who read these books feel some sense of, Oh, community and understanding and empathy. Mm-hmm. And that I'm experiencing this conflict and the purpose of these books is to do the antithesis of perpetuate it. You know, I want it to end and I hope that it does that a little bit. And I hope that eventually I can work through it to where I'm farther ahead than I was when I started. Uh huh. When you started writing them. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I mean, because, because um, stress, wherever it's coming from, society or parents or, you know, I mean, certainly the, the, the biggest one you said, you talked about at the beginning, knowing as a child that your mother wants to kill herself if you're fat. <laughs> I mean, that all these kinds of um, emotional stressors. Um, have the impact of wanting people, whether whatever weight they are, to eat. People normally, I mean, I talk about um, how 9-11 has caused an increase in people eating uh, comfort food. Um, the memory of 9-11 um, and the ongoing threats of terrorism, for example, I mean, that's a societal issue, are causing people to reach for comfort food. So, so in, a, in a more intimate level, a family level, or, or peers at school, or boyfriends, or husbands and wives, and, um, you know, all of that, there, there's so much, it's so much about um, the psychodynamics that it's not more about that, it was your point, than about being on a diet or not being on a diet. Yeah, this is a really complicated problem. And the problem isn't the fat. Now, there may be issues with fat. I'm not going to deny that there are some issues with weight and in our culture and in, with health. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But the 
really profound problem that's eating at our culture mm-hmm. is the obsession with fat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a really serious problem for fat people, for thin people, for boys and girls and women yeah. and men, and, you know, it's affecting us all. Yes, yes. Well, I want to make sure I have the time to tell people where they can get the book, which is um, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it'll be in the bookstores starting on Thursday. And, of course, um, Rebecca's website, um, you also want to check out. It's called peopleofsize.com, peopleofsize.com. And, again, the book title is called Fat Kids, Truth and Consequences. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, I think you are making people look at fat in a totally different way, and uh, that will have an enormous that will that will help a lot better than the president's wife. <laughs> so, thank you very much for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 